This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. I'm so glad you're here today. If you're visiting with us, we are in the middle of a series in the book of Acts called History Comes Home. That's the logo on the TV behind me. We are looking at the 2,000-year-old story of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, coming home to this corner on Pope and Bomar Road in Douglasville, Georgia. That's the whole premise behind it looking at the book of Acts and asking ourselves, is it just a historical document or is this book supposed to continue the reality of the resurrection in my life, in my heart, and what God is doing? So we've been jumping into it. We're still in chapter 1. I want you to do me a favor. Open up your Bible, if you will. If you use a phone, Acts chapter 1. You can follow along with me on the screen behind me. I use a New Living Translation. One of my favorites, Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and verse 7 is what we're going to read today. Listen to this. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has a time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Last week, we talked about this, a fatherless Christian, what it means to try to be a Christian but not understand the whole goal of the gospel, the whole goal of the Bible message from Genesis all the way to Revelation is to take us back to the Heavenly Father. It is to cause us to belong to the Father, to become one with the Father. And Jesus says this in verse 7. He says, look, there's certain things you want that only the Father knows. Jesus himself understands that for us to be effective, we have to come up under the authority of the Heavenly Father. So what we talked about last week, looking at his fatherhood in my life, trusting that he is a protector and that he does want to do something in my life from his will in heaven, bringing it to this earth inside my 50 feet so that I become a witness to the resurrection of Jesus right where I am. Come on. That's what this whole thing is about. It's about you and I not just doing the religious things that we do called church. It's about you and I bringing about the will of the Heavenly Father on this planet from heaven into my life through my hands, through my mouth, through my eyes, being used by God to be a witness to this generation. Now, here's what we've been talking about. To understand how to be effective as a Christian, there are two things you got to know. First, there is the organic side of Christianity. The organic side of Christianity is all about individual responsibility. God wanting to change your life. God wanting to work through your life. Come on, somebody. Not to be the same person. Jesus did not come to this planet just to make you a better person. He came to make you completely different. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new, totally 100% different. 
Come on, you're supposed to be different. You're not supposed to just be a better person. We can get you a YouTube video. We can Google Wikipedia how to be a better human, a better person, and like yourself better with better goals and objectives for your future. Jesus came to make you a completely different entity. That is the organic side of this thing called Christianity. The Holy Spirit on the inside of me making me into a completely different person in the image of God now doing the will of the Heavenly Father. That's the organic side. Acts chapter 1 through 5, very organic. A bunch of human beings are coming into an encounter with Jesus Christ and their lives are being flipped upside down so much so that the testimony of those people will be they change the world upside down. On this side of the coin, we have the organized side of Christianity, what you and I today call church. It's the organized. It's all the individuals coming together as a group. Why? Because we can do more together as a group. We were created for community from the beginning of the world. God designed community to be how he would display his power and display his will on this planet is through community. So I've got the organized side here, the organic side there, and they work hand in hand. But if I'm the enemy, if I'm the enemy in this equation, here's what I'm going to attempt to do. I can either destroy, deceive, disrupt on either side of the coin, and I'm going to win because you're going to be powerless. On the organic side, all I have to do is cause you to get discouraged, defeated, depressed, guilty, condemned, hurt, and then I can shut you down as a believer. I can get you in fear and anxiety, and when you become dysfunctional as an individual believer, it's hard to function as a corporate group. Or I can come over here as the enemy into this thing that's organized now 2,000 years later called church, and I can do the same identical thing. I can disrupt it. I can get everybody arguing with one another. I can get everybody focusing on all the rules of religion. And again, you become powerless. Even Paul will say it this way. You have a form of godliness, but you have zero power. So it tells me this. It is possible for us to do all the religious stuff. Like we can do everything we want to do religiously and have zero power, meaning communities aren't being changed, families are not being changed, individuals are not being changed. But my God, we are so religious. I mean, we are toeing the line of religion. Either way, the end result is a powerless believer. <clears throat> I'm either a powerless believer individually or we're a powerless group of believers corporately. I'm either over here in this very organic side and I'm not doing the will of my Father. God exists more for me. God exists more for my pleasure rather than me for his pleasure. And I begin to want God to perform for me rather than me saying, man, I'm just going to die to me and live for you. And then over here, man, we just, we organize it after 2,000 years. Now it's all about denominations Worship styles, preference styles, preaching styles, environment styles, and we find our right style and we go and we lump ourselves with a group of people in community. But if we're not careful, we can be doing all the right things and have the wrong results. 
And so the whole point of this thing of the book of Acts is to look at ourselves in this body of believers on Pope and Beaumar Road. It's to look at our individual lives first. We're going to talk about the corporate side later. We'll talk about the organized side that we call church. But right now, our goal in Acts chapter 1 is to look deep inside the individual heart. And it's to ask the hard question first. Am I even doing the will of my Father now? Not where do I go to church? What preacher do I like best? What podcast am I following? But is my life pleasing to the Heavenly Father? And when you don't have a father, when you don't, you know, an earthly father, when you don't have a good construct of a father, maybe your father's absent, maybe he left your mom, maybe you grew up without a dad, maybe he was abusive, maybe he was a great dad, but he was just never there. Or maybe he was a great dad that was there, but he just never taught you about anything about God. And now somebody comes in and says, oh, by the way, God, who you don't see, who's a spirit, who created all that, he's a daddy. And like, it's like, ah, I don't even know, how, how can he be a daddy? I don't even have a clue what that means. And so Jesus enters the equation in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus enters into the equation with one purpose, to introduce you to a father. He came to show you daddy. The book of Hebrews chapter 1 says it this way. He was the exact representation of the heavenly father. If you want to know the father, all you have to do is look at Jesus. If you want to know what kind of father he is, well, what kind of father would he be? Well, he's a definitely a loving father because Jesus was, a, was a, a man of love. He definitely was a, a disciplining father because we see Jesus making whips and driving out the money changers. You remember that sermon we preached uh, several months back, maybe even a year ago, uh, baby kissing Jesus, table flipping Jesus? All he was simply doing is just showing us the father. That yes, the Father loves you. Yes, the Father is full of grace and mercy. But yes, the Father also has a will. He also has expectations. He also has a way that he's trying to get your life to line up with him. And this is what I want to continue to talk about. And you may say, well, how long are you going to talk about it? Here's, I don't mean this rude, but this is just my thinking. I just want to talk about it till we get it. Till we really understand that there is a calling on an individual life for responsibility. Not to guilt trip you into it. I'm not trying to throw rules. Oh, you better tithe. If you'll tithe, you'll be a better, better person. If you'll take communion with us or come to this church or read your Bible more. You see, those are all the things we do over here to try to get you to be that better person. But what I want you to see is when it flows out of a love from a heavenly father when it flows out of a love relationship, when it flows out of your heart, there's no need for rules. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about this title. If you like titles, write this down. Fake love. Not does God love me. I think we've got 2,000 years, especially if you've been in church a long time, 2,000 years hearing a message that for God so loved the world, he gave the Son. 2,000 years maybe hearing a message we've been preaching, God is love, God loves you, especially today in today's world. Man, God loves you. God cares about who you are. Uh, you know, we, used to, we say this all the time. If you were the only person on the planet, God loved you. If you were the only one, he loved you. Here's my take. I think we kind of get that. 
I think we get he really does love me. He loves me regardless. He loves me on my best day. He loves me on my worst day. He doesn't love me anymore when I become more religious than he did even before I knew him. Even before I knew him, even before I was saved, even before I did anything right, anything holy or godly, before I ever said yes to him, he loved me unconditionally, overwhelmingly. Uh, we sing it, right? The song we sing all the time. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. The overwhelming, never-ending. That's before you did anything good. <laughs> the overwhelming, never-ending, before I did anything good. I think we, I hope we get that. But that's not what I want to talk about with fake love. I want to talk about this question. Do you love him back? Do you love him back? I have 30 years in ministry, and I've done a lot of weddings. And in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 5, there's, there's a, a whole section there about marriage. And this is what it says about marriage. That a husband and wife married are a reflection of Jesus' love to his church. Like you should be able to look at a husband and a wife the way they love each other and deduce from that love... That man, that's the same way Jesus loves me. Maybe we're failing at that. I don't know. Maybe we're not a good object lesson anymore. But that's the intent of marriage. And in 30 years of doing weddings for people, I've never one time had a bride show up or a groom show up to the altar and when it came time for their vows, pull out this long list of expectations, and she looks at the man, her husband-to-be, and says, well, number one, <clears throat> I expect you to never cheat on me. I expect you to get rid of all your old girlfriends. I expect you not to fall in love with another woman. I expect you not to hit me, not to abuse me. Do you know in all the 30 years of doing weddings, not one, not one time have I ever had a man or a woman pull out a list of expectations that you shouldn't cheat on me or abuse me or hurt me. There's this really strange belief that this person I'm about to sell my life to and hook my soul up to is going to take care of me, love me, cherish me, hold me, care for me, and no expectation at all that they're going to do me wrong. I mean, there's so much love on this day that there's really zero expectation that something wrong is going to happen to me from the other partner. Could you imagine going on a honeymoon? You're on your cruise. You're on this big cruise. Man, you just got married. And all of a sudden, you're looking for your husband. And while you're looking for your husband, you're like, man, where did my husband go? And all of a sudden, you walk down the, little, you walk down the corridor of all the rooms, and your husband bops out of a room with another woman. He's already hooked up with another woman on your honeymoon. Well, how do you think it would make you feel? There's not a woman in here. Not a, the reason you're smiling, there's not a woman in here today that would say, well, that's the kind of man I want. That's the kind of husband I want. I want somebody like that who's going to totally abuse me, totally abandon me, and leave me for other women. And he may come to you and go, honey, man, don't you know I love sex? I just love women. You can't expect me to just love you alone. What woman is going to look at that and go, you must be crazy? I mean, there may be some women today 
But a normal thinking woman is not going to be, yeah, just go out and sleep with other women because I know you probably need attention. No, because of love, you expect a reciprocation of that love back to you. You have an expectation. And the funny thing about it is the expectation is not written. The expectation is there because love put it there. If you love me, you won't cheat on me. If you love me, you're not going to sleep with other people. If you love me, you're not going to abuse me. If you love me, you're going to take care of me. If you love me, you're going to provide for me. If you love me, you're going to meet my needs. Because the real overwhelming expectation is, how do I know this person is going to treat me right? One word, love. And so now we come to this topic of a heavenly father. 2,000 years removed from his will that said, I so love you that I gave my son. But 2,000 years removed from that, 2,000 years removed, we have to make all these rules up. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't, don't hang around those that do. Don't go into the club. My God, stay away from the club. Don't be this, don't be that, don't be this. Better not be gay. You better not be lesbian. You better not smoke weed. You better not get drunk. Rule after rule after rule after rule. Why are we having to pull out all of these rules in this thing we call church? Well, here's my take on it. I, I, maybe it's not the only reasoning, but it is the reasoning to me. You have to have rules when you don't have love. You have to have rules when you don't have love. But if I love the Father as he loves me, he first loved me, therefore now I love the Father back. Once I have that kind of love, I don't need a rule that says, Mark, you might not need to go into the club because the moment I start walking into Baby Got Back Club and I get to the door, Baby Got Back Club, welcome all, I'm going to hear the voice of my Father say, mm, I don't think you need to go in there. No, it's not a rule. It's just the will of a father. I know my father probably doesn't need me to go in there. I know my father's not going to be happy with me when I go. Not, oh my God, I hope the preacher doesn't see me. Oh my God, I hope my mom doesn't see this picture they post. Come on now, I've been a preacher for 30 years. I know what this feels like. It wasn't long ago I walked into a Mexican restaurant. I like Mexican, by the way, if anybody wants to go to lunch with me. I walked into a Mexican restaurant, and, and it's just a weird, right, as a preacher. It's just weird. Like, I don't wear collars. I don't walk around the big King James Bible. I don't have fire coming out of my nose. I walked in, and there's a Corona light with a nice lime on it, and they just kind of slid it to the back when the preacher walked in. Like, oh, my God, here comes the preacher. Don't let him see my beer. And the, and the, the beer goes back. And I'm thinking... Do they really think I got that kind of power? Like I can condemn your soul to hell for having a beer. I can, I can, just, I can send you straight to hell, no good out of jail because I'm a preacher. You're drinking a beer, hell you go. How about the, the person that sees the preacher coming in? I've seen this over and over and they cup their weed or they cup their cigarette. Smoke's still bellowing up over your head, but you've got it cupped. 
Or everybody's telling dirty jokes and all of a sudden the preacher walks in the room and when the preacher walks in the room, all, all the dirty jokes quit. I'm thankful maybe, but really, have we gotten so religious 2,000 years later, so religious that I care more about what a preacher thinks than more about what my heavenly father thinks. I care more about what the preacher thinks about my corona light than what the father may think about my corona light. I care more about what society may think about my lifestyle than more about what the father thinks about my lifestyle. I care more about not somebody not seeing me go to baby back club and making sure I kind of keep the anonymity there then what does my heavenly father think about it? Because this is just my opinion. I think that's where we've gone wrong. I think we're really great at religion. I think we're really great at the rules. I think we're really great at faking the love. But to have the passion of does my life please the heavenly father? Do my actions please the heavenly father? Look, I don't care if you have a beer. You want a Corona light and you want to throw a lime on it? Great. I'm not your heavenly daddy. I'm not the one who's policing your life here. But come on, after about nine Corona lights, don't you think your daddy in heaven's probably like, dude, that's enough. You've had one too many here. You know, I'm not going to jump down your throat if you want to smoke a cigarette. I'm not going to hop down you and go, man, you can't be a strong Christian if you're hooked on tobacco. But I'm just going to tell you this. If your body really is the temple of the Holy Spirit, is the Father pleased when your body is starting to get sick because of your bad habits? Come on, forget about smoking. Let's talk about overeating. Just overeating. Your body's the temple of the Lord. Meaning this, your body belongs to the Father. Meaning this, if the Father really belong, I belong to him, then does he really care about your health? What if it's not a religious rule? What if the rule, don't smoke, don't chew, don't drink, it's not about a religious rule? What if it's just about a daddy that really adores you and wants the best for your life? He doesn't want you having sclerosis of the liver. He doesn't want you having to drink the, the problem away. He doesn't want you having COPD when you're older. It's not about you're going to hell. It's just about a daddy who dearly loves you. And a daddy who wants you to be the best that you can be for him. So I don't think the question is, does daddy love me? You may be a raging alcoholic today. Daddy loves you. <laughs> you might smoke three packs a day, man. God loves you. You might be struggling with your sexual identity today. Jesus loves you. You may be a jerk of a husband. God loves you. You may be just a miserable, no good, and Jesus loves you. You may be a businessman, businesswoman with tons of money, and you got your act together and don't really think you need him. He loves you anyway. But my, my heart today is not to talk about his love. It's to talk about fake love. Listen to this. Turn to John 17. We picked this up last week talking about the father being a protector. John 17 has quickly become one of my favorite chapters as I've been reading it over and over these last few weeks because Jesus is just talking to his daddy. And in talking to his daddy, he 
pretty interesting what he says. So I would just encourage you to read it maybe in your devotion time. Just read the whole chapter. It's like Jesus talking to dad. Verse 11. You can follow along on the screen if you want. Verse 11 of John 17. Jesus says, Now I'm departing from this world, and they are staying in this world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you have given your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Look at that word up there, the word united. Jesus' prayer is that you and I would be united with the Father just like he was united with the Father. That's a powerful prayer. Because Jesus didn't say, oh, Daddy, this is a hellacious world down here. Why don't you just hurry up and come get them and suck them off this planet? I sure don't want to leave them down here. Man, it's going to be a dark world 2,000 years later. There's going to be some crazy things going on. No, that's not what he prayed. He said this. He said, look, I'm going to leave you down here. Why? Is he going to abandon me? He can't abandon me because the Gospel of John chapter 14 says this. I'll never leave you as an orphan. So when Jesus says this world is evil, but I'm going to leave you here, but don't worry about it because I'm going to give you a power and I'm going to ask that power to unite you with my Father. How powerful is that? Jesus' prayer is that I would be united with the Father. His prayer wasn't that I would be more religious. His prayer wasn't that I would start tithing. His prayer wasn't that I would find some local church. His prayer wasn't that I would quit smoking. His prayer wasn't that I would stop drinking. His prayer was, I want you to be united with my daddy just like I'm united. Why? Because when you're in unity with the Father, when your life cares about what the Father thinks, you you will be doing the will of the Father, and when you do the will of the Father, you bring glory to the Father. And you do it all out of love. You do it all out of a unified we are one, just like Robin and I. I don't need rules to tell me how to love my wife. We've been married nearly 30 years. I don't need a list to know. Do you know how I know how to please her? I have spent time with her. I have talked with her. And we, the moment we got married, became one. 30 years later, being one with her, I know her. The moment you get born again, you become one with the Father. But you spend time and time and time and time with him. And over time, you know what the will of the Father is. So when you're about to go into Baby Got Back Club, you don't have to worry about it. You just go, man, that's just not what my Father would want. When you're feeling tempted to lust after something, you know what? Man, that's just not what my Father would want. But it's hard to know what your Father wants if you don't ever get in there and find out what he wants. So listen to what Jesus says. I love what he says in verse 15. He says this, I'm not asking you, Dad, Father, to take them out of the world. I'm just asking you to keep them safe from the evil that's in the world. Listen to this word. This is huge. Verse 16. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. In other words, here it is again. I'm going to leave you in this God-forsaken, dark place called earth, the world. Man, where evil and darkness seemingly abounds. But don't worry about it because what I prayed for you is you would be united with my Father. My Father will protect you from the evil one. And listen to what this says again. And I pray that they would know you don't belong to the world. See, this is about belonging. It's not about religion. It's about belonging. It's about understanding I belong to the Father God. 
And now listen to what he says. Verse 17, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. In other words, not make you holy by showing you a list of do's and don'ts. He says, Dad, man, I just pray that they become holy by knowing your truth. That's what I pray. I pray they would become holy. See, we live in a generation today, a millennial generation of young people who want to love God, but they want to love God on their own terms. I don't want to love God based on truth. I just want to love God based on my own terms, man. I just want to love the Lord the way I want to. No different than me saying to Robin, honey, I just want to love you on my own terms. I want to keep my same lifestyle. I want to keep my same habits. I want to keep my same isms and schisms and agendas. And I just want, I mean, I want God to love me, of course, but when I love him back, man, I just want to love him on my own terms. Kind of like a 1970 free-for-all Woodstock. I just want to smoke weed, sit out in a field, and just tell, tell everybody God loves me regardless. No expectation on me. I just want to love the Lord my own way. That's hogwash. That's nothing more than a lie of the enemy. Because Jesus said, you want me to tell you what unity is with my Father? Unity is to be made holy. The word holy, it doesn't mean more religious. The word holy means completely different. The word holy means separated. The word holy means you're living in the middle of a God-forsaken world, but you're different. The word holy means there's evil all around you, but you're still godly. The word holy means that God put his mark on you. You belong to him. You don't belong to the devil. The word holy means you're distinctly 110% separated from everything else that the world would call dark and evil. That's holy. You're not holy because you quit some bad habit. You're holy because truth makes you holy. So if I want to destroy the power of, of an individual or organic Christian, or I want to destroy the power of organized Christianity, I just put the truth on the table and go, man, y'all just love God any way you want. I had a friend of mine who is homosexual, and he posted on social media that he was so excited to see the progressive movement of Christianity coming to America. And so I thought, well, that's, a, that's an interesting insight. I wanted to read it, so I got on and read the post, and uh, I thought, man, that sounds awesome. He just was so excited to finally see progressive Christianity, liberal thinking coming into the world of Christianity. Basically, this was the summation it's so nice to see, this is my take on it from what I read, it's just nice to finally see people are accepting us as Christians and letting us identify with God any way we want to identify. And I agree. I mean, I just told that that sounds great. It sounds romantic. It feels good. But then I have to come to this and go, but what does truth tell me? Can I really live any way I want to live? Can I really do anything I want, be any kind of thing I want to be? I mean, I, let's not talk about, you know, same sex. Let's just talk about a man loving other women. Can I, can I just do anything I want? Let's not take it there. Can I talk any way I want, act any way I want? Come on, can I gossip? Can, can, I, can I stay bitter? Can I hold unforgiveness? 
Let's just don't pick on one group of people here. Let's look at the individuals in this group called organic Christianity. Don't point fingers at other people. Just look at yourself and ask yourself, is this truth, the will of the Father, is this the thing that's uniting me? Because that's what's going to matter. Maybe that's why the world calls us so hypocritical. It's because we just love God any way we want to love God. Man, it's a free-for-all. And what I read in the Bible is there's nothing in the Bible that says love is a free-for-all. Even Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Man, that stings. What? If I love you, I've got to obey? Oh, you're kidding me. Come on. I just want to love you and do anything I want to do. So listen to what Jesus says. And this is where I want to end. Maybe asking the hard question, not does God love you, but do you love him? And if you say you do, are you faking it? Listen to verse 23 of John 17. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience, listen, here we go again, such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. There it is. Jesus says, my prayer is that you'll know how much the Father loves you, but not just how much he loves you, but that you would understand he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Oh, but not understanding he would love you as much as he loved Jesus. That's a whole lot of love. But I love what Jesus said here. He said that they, they may experience such perfect unity that the world will know. Maybe the reason the world's not flocking to church today is because we don't do very well displaying perfect unity with the Father. We display religion pretty good. We display my own feelings pretty good. We display my own agenda pretty good. We, uh, we definitely are pros at displaying our own experiences and likes. Colored lights, smoke machines, you know, barn look, whatever we choose. We're great at displaying our logos and all of the things that kind of make us who we are. But Jesus said, I pray that they would have such unity with you, the world would know I'm real. That's powerful. So if Jesus prayed that prayer, you better believe that the devil on the heels of that prayer, once he understood that Jesus said, I pray, Father, that you would make them so unified. Did you get that? I'm going to read it one more time. That they may experience such perfect unity that the world will know I'm real. That's my translation. The world will know you sent me. The world knows the reality of Jesus because we come into perfect unity with the Father. What do you want out of me, Dad? I'll do it. What do you want from me, Father? That's what I'll do. Not my will, but your will be done. Not what I want to do on the planet, what I feel, what I think, but what you think, what you want, that's what I want. And hey, maybe like Jesus, you have to find yourself in a lonely place crying some bitter tears because what you want to do is not remotely close to what he wants you to do. And you may have to have your own Garden of Gethsemane experience where you kneel down and go, God, man, I don't want to do this, but if that's what you want, I'll do it. I've had to pray that prayer many times in my life. I don't want to do this. It's not what I want to do. But Lord, if it's what you want me to do, I'll do it. When a drunk guy ran my wife over, God, I don't want to forgive him, but if it's what you want me to do, then I'll do it. Perfect unity. Grab hold of that. That's important. 
Perfect unity with the Father is how the Christian proves Jesus Christ is alive. This gospel that's out there today that says live any way you want to live, act any way you want to act, just love God and God loves you. Any lifestyle you want, any decision you want, any feeling you want, any experience you want, just know God loves you. It's nothing more than a lie from the pit of hell because that's not unified with the Father. You're not looking for a father, you're looking for a genie. You're not looking for a father, you're looking for some wizard in a bottle to just do whatever you want him to do. God is not a wizard in a bottle. God is not a genie, he's a father. And he has a will for you and he has a will for me. So listen to this. Here's how we can define it. Well, then how do I know, Mark, if I'm faking it? Turn to 1 John chapter 1. Go to the book of Revelation, hang a left. (laughs) You'll find 1 John, 1 John chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're going to look at just a few verses. And then I want you to look deep in your heart. And when you ask yourself, are you faking it? Listen to this. 1 John Chapter 1, verse 3. We proclaim to you that ourselves we've actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. Now listen to what he says. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John even concurs with Jesus. If you're going to fellowship with Jesus, you can't deny the Father. If you're going to claim Jesus, a Father comes with Him. If you're going to claim Jesus, we're going to see in a few weeks, the Holy Spirit comes with that as well. There's no denying it. But listen to what it says in verse 6. So we are lying. Man, that stings. We are lying if we say we have fellowship with God. But go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. What? I'm a liar? If I say I love God, but I don't practice truth, I'm a liar? Are you kidding me? I've got 30 years going to church here, and you're calling me a liar? I know all the stories of the Bible, but you call me a liar? I know all the creeds and the doctrine, but you call me a liar? Well, the Bible says if you don't practice truth, it doesn't matter what you say, you're a liar. How weird is that? That doesn't even feel good. That I have to practice truth or I'm a liar? That, that, that just cuts to the heart. God looking at me going, Mark, man, I know you say you love me, but you're lying, Mark. How can I be lying? I really feel like I'm in love with you. Well, I'm glad you feel that, Mark, but you're not practicing truth. It'd be no different than Robin looking at me and I'm going, oh, honey, I love you. Don't you know I love you, honey? Man, honey, I love you. I love you with all my heart. Well, honey, if you love me, you need to practice it because you don't practice it. You don't spend time with me. You don't talk to me. You don't give me any attention. You, you, you cheat on me. You have eyes for other women. You have this, you have that. And I'm like, yeah, honey, but I really do. I really love you. I really do. And she looks at me and says, well, then practice it. Come on, if you expect that out of a wife, if you expect it out of a husband, you even expect it out of your children, then why can't God expect it out of us? If you love me, practice truth. If you don't, you're a liar, meaning no matter what you say, you're lying to me. Listen to this. We're going to end with this scripture, chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. If someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar. There it is again. And not living in truth, there it is again. 
But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. There's that belonging unity again. If you're going to claim to love God, man, live like Jesus lived. If you're going to claim to love God, then live truth. Even when it stings. Even when it hurts. Now listen to what it goes on to say at the end of chapter 2. Here's where it gets really real and really raw. I want you to tune your heart into this. Listen carefully. Verse 15 of 1 John 2. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. <laughs> that's, that, that's deep. What does the song say? The first cut's the deepest. <laughs> what? If I love the world, the love of the Father's not in me? That, that's the litmus test right there. Right there. If you love the world and the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. Listen to verse 16. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father. They're from the world. Hey, go read James 4.4 later. James 4.4. If you love the world, you're an enemy of God. What? If I love the world, I'm an enemy of God? So let me see if I got this right. Jesus leaves me in the world. Jesus leaves me in this God-forsaken place of darkness called earth. And then he says, now be unified with me and daddy here. And while you're down here, just know this. If you love this dark world, if you crave for its stuff, if you long for its pleasures, if you sell your soul for its possessions, then you're my enemy. You're not my lover. I don't belong to you. You don't belong to me. You are my enemy. That doesn't even feel good. That's totally opposite of what religion will tell me. I can earn all this from him. I can earn all this stuff if I do all these rules. And Jesus is like, no, forget that. I just want to know, do you love me? And if you do love me, then you'll be one with me. And if you're one with me, then you'll care about what I think. And if you care about what I think, you will stop chasing the cravings of the world, the pleasures of the world, the possessions of the world, the achievements of the world. You see, that covers everybody. Let's just don't talk dirty people here, sinful people. Let's talk about those of us that are chasing achievements, chasing possessions, a better this, a better that, a better this. The Bible says when you love the world, the love of the Father's not in you. In other words, you have, you have a ring on your finger. The ring is on your finger. You are worthy of it all. Come on, we sang that today. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things and to you are things. You are worthy of it all. Oh, man. And then all of a sudden the day ends the ring comes off your finger, man, and off you go. Monday through Saturday, living like a hellion, doesn't care what you think, don't care what you talk like, act like, think like, what your eyes see, what your ears hear. Oh, but Sunday morning, man, I'm waking up. I'm putting the ring of my religious faith back on. I'm coming back with a group of people called church. Oh, look at that, man. That's where Jesus saved me. That's how much he loves me. He loved me so much he married me even when I was broken. Oh, man, he changed my ring. Yeah, hello? Hey, buddy. Yeah, cool. Okay, when? Seven, tonight? Yeah, 
Baby got back club. Yeah, seven tonight. Dude, no, man, I'm in. Count me in, man. Happy hour. Dude, I'm there. Count me in. Okay, see you. Bye. Ring in the pocket. Baby got back club. I mean, just breaking it down. Oh, yeah. What? No big deal, right? No big deal. We're good at faking this thing. Rings in my pocket, baby. I'm hyped up on life. I'm hyped up on pleasures. I'm hyped up on all the stuff the world offers me. It doesn't matter. The ring's in my pocket. I keep God close enough. I keep God close enough. I mean, it's not on my finger out here in public because I'm really not living like it. I'm really not talking like it. I'm really not acting like it. I'm not treating my wife like it. But, I mean, the ring's not on my finger right now. Oh, it's in my pocket, though, but it's not in my heart. It's in my pocket, but not in my heart. But Sunday morning comes, man, and we come back to this religious tradition called church, and the ring comes on my finger. He is worthy of it all. Let me just testify. Oh, come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. Jesus has been good to me. Somebody up in here, give God a blessing and a praise. The Lord is so good. He's worthy of it all. As soon as it's over, the ring goes back in the pocket. Oh, I'm married to him in experience and feelings. I feel giddy about God. I mean, especially when all hell breaks loose. And when all hell breaks loose, I pull the ring back out and put it on. Please help me. Please come to my rescue. Then when things are going good, the ring goes back in my pocket and I just keep living my own thing. This is just my opinion. This is just an opinion. But I think, I, I think it's a good one. That's so why I'm going to throw it out there. I think the reason why the church is so powerless today is when we come together in this thing called organized church, man, we all got our rings on. We're all singing about the love of Jesus, Christ the cornerstone. He's worthy of it all. Man, I don't need anything else but him. He's everything I need, but no power. And maybe because there's no power is because when we're here in the organic side of Christianity, in my day-to-day -day life, in my day-to-day -day experience, the ring is in my pocket. There's no identification at all that I belong to a father. I just do my own thing, man. I live my own way. And maybe that's why there's no power. Maybe that's why it's called fake love. Maybe that's why God said, you're lying to me. Because if you're putting a ring on your finger to do traditional religion claiming to know Jesus Christ, but in your day in and day out lives of your own 50 feet, if the ring is not on your finger and the love of the Father is not in your heart, then maybe the reality of what Scripture teaches is maybe we're all just lying. Maybe we're all just faking it. Maybe we're all playing a good game here and we're really not living up to what God wants. Come on, I want you to stand up with me. I want you to bow your head and I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you just faking it? Like I know here right now, come on. I'm not talking about right now. You're in church right now. Well, this is, the, this is the time of week where everybody puts a ring on their finger, man. We've come to talk about God and Jesus. But are you faking it? Are you faking it? I know I've faked it. I'm not putting you down. I've been there myself. 
Man, there's been times I've had the ring on my finger, and then all of a sudden my own flesh, my own pleasures, my own desire wells up. Man, the ring goes in Mark's pocket, and I do my own thing. I think everybody in this room, you've probably lived that way. I bet everybody in this room has lived to that point of life where you know you love God, but there are times when the cares and the cravings of the world, the pleasures of the world, the lust of the world, the possessions and all the stuff where the ring just goes in the pocket. It's like, man, I don't care. Maybe you're really good at putting the ring on the finger just depending on what group of friends you're with. Come on, young people. So whatever groups or friends you're with determines what ring I put on my finger. If we're going to be the body of Christ in this generation, we have to come to a unified, belonging love relationship with the Father where His will, His pleasure, and His desires matter to me 24-7, where the ring of salvation stays on my hand all the time, where I stop faking the love by acting like it's all about my feelings and not about His truth, acting like it's all about my pleasure and not about His pleasure, where I pray the prayer Jesus prayed, I really don't want to do this, Father, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to pray a prayer for you. And at the end of the prayer, I want you to just look in your heart. I want you to ask yourself the question today, am I just faking this thing? And it's a really simple fix. If you are, Father, forgive me. He's faithful and just to forgive you. And as he has forgiven me, Time and time again. He'll do it over and over. But I want to ask you a question. Are you just going to keep praying the same prayer? Forgive me, Father. Forgive me, Father. Forgive me, Father. Oh, He will. He'll do it over and over. But the Bible teaches us. If we had time to look at it, the Bible says, but those of us who love God don't keep sinning. There comes a place where the belonging overrides the sinful behavior. Where the love of a father overrides the love of my own self. There comes that place. I'm going to bless you. Father, I thank you so much today. I ask God that you would captivate our heart. I ask, Lord, that we would walk out of here with two things, knowing desperately how much you love us. You hold nothing against us. You're not pointing a finger of anger or shame at us. But because of Jesus Christ, you accept us. Because of Jesus Christ, you call us your own. Because of Jesus Christ, we belong to you. But Lord, now we want to say back, we do love you in return. And because we love you in return, God, that we will hold to your truth. And because we love you in return, God, we will stop craving the pleasures and the things of this world. And because we love you in return, God, it will cause our hearts to mesh with your heart, our will to your will, our desires to your desires. In Jesus' name, and you say amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 